my spooky friends. I'm John, and welcome to Dairyland Frights, the paranormal podcast that covers everything spooky, creepy, and mysterious. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Megan and Brooke. So let's get right into it. Why did we start this podcast? Well, we all love the paranormal, and we're not only here to scare you, but to entertain you. And we may even convince you that that cryptid demon or ghost in your yard, cubicle, or house is real. So we're just going to take you along on this paranormal journey, no matter where it goes. And I have to thank Megan and Brooke for possessing me to do this. Aww. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to tell you why I love the paranormal, okay? And then we'll get to Megan and Brooke, and they'll tell us why they love the paranormal. So I love the paranormal for its mystery and also um, the understanding of why spirits exist. Uh, now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen a ghost, but if I do, I would scream like a little girl. <laughs> and uh, But seriously, I've been on a number of paranormal adventures, tours and shut-ins, I've seen and heard things, but nothing really conclusive. But with this podcast, Dairyland Frights, we hopefully we can prove the existence of ghosts and make believers out of people. So I look forward to sharing, um, and we look forward to sharing stories uh, and my love of the paranormal and our love of the paranormal. And here is one of my paranormal fiends, I mean friends, co-host Brooke, and she's going to tell you why she loves the paranormal. But before that, Brooke, you have to tell your story about Zach Baggins and the guy from Ghost Adventures fame, if you don't know him, and why he blocked you on Twitter. So, Brooke, if you want to tell that story, I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So uh, Zach Baggins and I go way back. Well, not not really, not personally. <laughs> um, I In high school, I became like obsessed with the show Ghost Adventures. Like my best friend and I would watch it every Friday night. We'd watch it on Travel Channel. We had to see it. I even made um, a blog on Tumblr back in the day. Tumblr was a big thing. Um, I even made one like all about Ghost Adventures. It was just like a like a community where fans of the show would kind of gather and make memes and jokes and stuff. And, um, and I followed all the guys on Twitter and uh, would interact with them pretty frequently. I'm actually followed by the official ghost adventures, Twitter account, which they don't Whoa. follow that many people. So that's a pretty, pretty, oh, yeah, cool. that's right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, but then I went <laughs> at one point, uh, Zach Baggins from who's like the lead investigator on ghost adventures. If you're not familiar, he, uh, started a clothing line called Dungeon Wear, and the clothes <laughs> were really stupid. <laughs> uh, it looked like those old like affliction shirts that like people would wear back in like yeah. the early two thousands. And nice. so I like I made fun of it. I tweeted something like, "Wow, this Dungeon Wear thing is like pretty ugly." <laughs> That's all I said. I didn't even tag him. And then like within a couple hours, I was blocked, <laughs> and he's never unblocked me. So. Zach, if you're listening to this, I would appreciate it if you would unblock me on Twitter because I think we can get over our differences. But yeah, come on, Zach. Get I know. <laughs> Just right? told them how it was. Yeah. <laughs> I did, and you know what? Dungeonware did not last. It does not exist anymore. So I was right. At the <laughs> well, end. maybe it was true then. 
it was there you yeah. go. i know you can't fault me for telling the truth but <laughs> we exactly. love you zach don't worry yeah we, we, we love you zach baggins we do <laughs> but um but yeah it's so i have always been very intrigued by the paranormal and the supernatural um super oh that's another thing supernatural is like one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite shows um i definitely like consider myself a little bit of a skeptic still like you john i've never had like a definitive experience that i could i've had you know kind of weird things happen which you know we'll cover over the course of this podcast uh and future podcasts but i've never had like oh i've witnessed a full body apparition or anything like that but i think just the idea of the possibility of it um and the idea that we don't understand everything about our world is i think why i love the paranormal the most um i love science but i also love the idea that like there's some stuff out there that we just don't understand yet and hopefully someday we will so yeah absolutely that that's yeah that's kind of why i think too brooke that's why i love it too because again it's that mysterious like how can we define this and some things in life you can't right right you know it's, it's like why do you love your dog you just exactly. love your dog, right? There's no scientific way to prove you love your dog other than you love your dog, right? So, um, and if you love your ghost, which we'll cover another podcast, that uh, <laughs> then we'll cover that. If you really love a ghost, um, we'll get into that uh, later. Um, okay, Brooke, anything else you wanted to add about your love of uh, the paranormal? Uh, no, not right now. I think you know it'll be un uncovered over over the yes. next few episodes i'm sure so <laughs> yes it will yes it will so thanks brooke uh now my next paranormal friend fiend uh who loves the spooky as much as anyone megan so megan tell me about uh why you uh love the paranormal all right thanks john I was thinking about that today and I was trying to think what is the earliest memory that I have of loving spooky things. And the first thing that came to my mind was I loved reading the scary stories to tell in the dark books as a child. And, you know, reading them now, it's like, oh, you know, it's not too scary. But when you're a child, it's really scary, honestly. You know, the illustrations that come with it. You know, it really just sparked my love for all things spooky. So even as a child, I just really loved that feeling that you get when you see or learn something super scary. So then I went on to start watching some horror movies as a child. One of the movies that I loved watching it as a kid was The Ring. I thought that was a good movie to kind of oh, hold get on into second. How, how, how old were you when you watched The Ring? I think I might have been in maybe fourth or fifth grade. <laughs> so that's pretty scary for a child, but you know, yeah, I sure. you know I have some good memories of watching some scary movies with my dad as a kid. It was a good way for us to bond, which is funny because he actually introduced me to The Exorcist and The Shining, and even to this day, The Shining is one of my favorite, if not the favorite, horror movie that I have. So. Ever mm. since then, I've loved watching paranormal documentaries, and it's all just yeah. super fascinating to me. And I'm looking forward to covering some super spooky stories on this podcast and sharing it with all of you listeners. Yeah, that that's awesome. So as you see, listeners, we all love the paranormal for some of the different and same reasons. You know, one thing I forgot, did you, any of you watch Goosebumps? Oh, yes. I love Goosebumps as a kid. Same. Yeah, yeah. I re- <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, and we'll get to our subject here. Just 
you know, it's our first episode, people, so we're just working through things, but trust us, you'll love us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Goosebumps, the scariest one I saw, I don't know if you remember this one, was the clown episode. So the clown episode was this little boy finds, like, this clown doll. He's playing with it and everything, and then he puts it down. The spookiest stuff, and I almost peed my pants. Hey, I was nine, so, you know, come on, give me a it's break. pretty scary for a nine-year-old. Pretty scary. The scariest scene was the boy sleeping in his bed, and it scared me to death, was that I was uh, watching it, and there in the scene is the you see the uh, ghost, uh, ghost, excuse me, the clown hand go through and open the door and come through the door and everything it was something like that. Man, did I have nightmares. <laughs> oh my God. Clowns Nightmare are people. like, yeah, clowns are so scary. Yeah. And we'll cover one of the things we'll cover later on is possibly serial killers. So like John Wayne Gacy. Ooh, man, that's scary stuff. So, I mean, unbelievable. So thank you so much, Megan and Brooke. What we're going to do now is turn to paranormal news. And we're just finding some interesting uh, news that we find on the web and everything like that. I'm going to share a quick couple stories with you. One of them, you're going to go, well, that was kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> you know, that didn't <laughs> turn out. So there was one here in England, in the UK. Uh, I know your husband's from the UK, Brooke. He is. And a woman takes a video of a uh, ghostly figure at this deserted mansion. And it was on TikTok. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> but if you go on TikTok, it has like 14 million views. And if you look, uh, you'll see like this head in the window of this deserted mansion. And yes, the man and the daughter did walk into the mansion and walk around and everything. And didn't feel anything, didn't see any ghosts or anything. Wouldn't go to the attic <laughs> where they saw the face. But here's the thing. First of all, that deserted mansion is not deserted. It's actually yeah. somebody owns it. And they just mm -hmm. haven't kept it up. The second thing is, this is weird. Tell me you think this is weird, Megan. Brooke. They took a mannequin's head and they stuck it up into the window <gasps> of the attic. To scare mm -hmm. Why? To scare people off. Just for yeah. fun. Just for fun. I mean, fun. who doesn't do that, honestly? Yeah. So the story, if you read through it at first, you kind of look at it and you're like, oh my God, that, that looks real. That that's yeah, a mannequin set. Oh boo. <laughs> Crazy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, we're here. We're like Brooke and I, uh, we're kind of the same way. And Megan, you know, hey, if we have to debunk something, we'll debunk it. You know, exactly. That's right. Absolutely. Right. So the second quick story is about in Montreal. These, I think this is hilarious. Those Canadians, they're just crazy. So this guy <laughs> did this Halloween decoration and it looked real. So what it was, was it kind of looked like a man with a um, bag over his head and he was duct tape and he was hanging. And so people first walked past and were like, Oh my God, you know, what's going on? We need to call the cops. That's real. And then they call the cops and the cops come over and this guy comes out of the apartment building and goes, dude, it's not real. It's mine. <laughs> it's fake. Wow, must have but been convincing. Believed it. Yeah, right? People believe this is an actual person hanging from a tree near an apartment building. 
And turns out, because people called in, and some people are just lame, and they go, oh, that's disgusting and stuff. I'm like, right? It's Halloween. Right. Give me a break, right? Yeah, so, have some fun. Yeah, exactly. Have some fun. So that was not real either, but if both pictures are on. Um, we'll put our, we'll put some of the links out there on our website when we get that up. <laughs> um, we'll kind of show you, uh, it, it, once you see the pictures, you'll be able to go like, yeah, wow, that looks crazy. That looks real. But fortunately, neither of them are real, but still kind of creepy, right? You still want, don't want to see a mannequin's head <laughs> staring at you. Right, I would freak out. Yeah, and you don't want to walk past the body <laughs> hanging out a tree that looks real, um, because that really happened. We'll cover this story down the road. Um, in 2006, a woman actually hung herself from a tree in front of her house, and people thought it was fake. But it turns oh, out, oh man, it was real. That's crazy. And people wow. walked past her body for hours. And they thought, Man. and people touched her too because they thought, oh, this is a really cool Halloween decoration. No, it was real. Oh, better <laughs> so, safe than sorry, wow. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, without further ado, we're going to cover a cryptid I've never heard of before here in Wisconsin. And one of the things I want to back up, just to tell you guys, we're going to cover mostly Midwest uh, to start out because... The Midwest is truly spooky and creepy. Uh, one of the hotbed areas for the supernatural and cryptids and Brooke. And serial uh, killers, actually. And serial <laughs> killers. So we'll cover that too. But Brooke brought up uh, something to us that I thought was a great first subject for us to do, the hodag. So Brooke, why don't you take it away and tell us all about that hodag cryptid. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk about this because I think like – I've always known about the Hodag. I knew that it was really associated with Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is a small town way up north, kind of in the like Northwoods area. Um, but I never really knew the backstory of it. I always just thought like, oh, you know, it's your typical, you know, local cryptid, kind of like Mothman. I recently went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia to kind of check out like Mothman mania down there. And I thought it was kind of similar, but the Hodag has a very different, very unique uh, backstory to it so i think it's gonna be a really fun story it's maybe not as scary as you would think but um but it's very fun nonetheless so we're gonna talk about the hodeg today um so i want to cover a couple of the sources that i used first to um, gather my information um because a couple of them are really great so i'll use the wisconsin historical society website um wisconsinlife.org was a big one, uh, the Wausau Daily Herald website. And then something that I just found actually today when I was kind of just filling in the gaps was a dissertation written by this guy, Craig William Kinnear. He was a grad student at of philosophy at Notre Dame in 2016, and he wrote his um, dissertation. It's called The Legend of Logging, Timber Industry Culture, and the Rise of Paul Bunyan from 1870 to 1945. And it had so much good information in it. It was like 240 pages long. I put the link in our little document if you guys want to take a look at it, but it's very interesting. Um, and I got a lot of information out of that too. So thank you to Craig William Kinnear, wherever you are now. <laughs> wow, what a good. dissertation. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I was like, this is so perfect. This has like all, I don't know, just all the information I was looking for in it. So it was really, it was really good. Nice. Um, but anyway, so I think to understand um, the history of the Hodag and where the 
kind of legend came from. You have to understand a little bit about what was going on in the late 1800s in northern Wisconsin. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory so that it kind of sets up where what we're talking about. Um, so in the late 1800s, there were like logging was a huge thing. So the logging was really throughout the 17 and 1800s. And even before that, people who lived in Wisconsin, well, I mean, after they after it became the state of Wisconsin, um, logging was huge. Um, that's what most of the people in the northern Northwoods area did. Um, but by the late 1800s, the loggers were kind of starting to struggle a little bit. Um, the reasons for this, uh, or there's a couple different reasons, one of them being that the number of white pines in the northern Wisconsin area were dwindling due, due to them kind of overlogging the area. Uh, there were also a number of Sorry, my dog is like chewing on his toy right in my microphone. I will, <laughs> let me like mark this down. <laughs> He's so annoying. Go away. <laughs> um, so, um, so the one of the reasons was that the number of white pines were dwindling due to overlogging of the area in the north woods. Uh, also, there were a lot of forest fires in the area, which this is crazy to me and just kind of a small sidebar, but did you guys know that the most deadly forest fire in the history of the U.S. actually occurred in Wisconsin? Because I did not know that. Yes, I did not. Crazy. Yeah, I did not know that either until really recently. My dad was actually talking about it, but it was called the Peshtigo Fire of 1871. Yes. And from what I read, it actually happened on the same day as the Great yes, Chicago Fire. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is so weird wow. to me, but because of that, like, no one ever really talked about it. Like, people right. just kind of, you know, they talked about the Great Chicago Fire because it happened yeah. in such a big city, but the Peshtigo Fire kind of went under the radar, but it actually killed 1,200 people, which yeah. is a crazy wow. large number of people. That's more lives lost than, like, the more modern California fires. Um, so it was a huge deal, and it burned 1.5 million acres as well. Um, Peshtigo is a little bit, it's so, it's southwest, or no, southeast of Rhinelander. So it didn't directly affect the Rhinelander area, but yeah. at this time, I think people are kind of realizing, like, hey, we're losing our white pines, there's forest fires going on, like, is logging really a profession that's going to, like, lead us into the future? So... By the way, hey, just really quickly, Brooke. Yeah, logging was extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like people would be getting their limbs cut off. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, for sure. There was no OSHA. There was no government. Yeah. You just went out and just started cutting things down. And uh -huh. if people died that day, they were like, "Well, should have got out of the way." Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was, you know, it was early. It was, it was the 1800s. So yeah, things are definitely not as safe as they are now in that industry. No. And, uh, and by the, um, by 1890, there were actually 23,000 men who worked across 450 different logging camps within wow. Wisconsin, which is a lot of people, especially. Yeah. Especially when you consider like the Northern towns were towns of like a couple hundred people and like pretty much every man in those towns was working in the logging industry. Right. So it was tons of people. The trees were dwindling. Um, so, and there was also a little bit of a financial panic, too. In the in 1893, from what I understand, it kind of revolved around the railway expansion. Um, mm -hmm. In May of that year, they kind of stopped putting money into railway expansion, and because the railway system was how 
people in Rhinelander were getting all of their lumber to yeah. cities like Chicago, they really kind of panicked. Um, and their uh, primary railroad actually went bankrupt in the fall of mm. that year, too. So people wow. were kind of leaving Rhinelander like crazy at this time um, and leaving the Northwoods area. They were like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to go, you know, towards the cities. So it really kind of was not a great time for the Rhinelander area um, and other Northwoods towns. So that's kind of a little bit of why the Hodag lore kind of started sprouting up. So, And, and um, Brooke, Brooke yeah. one of the things we'll cover too is railroads are extremely paranormal because there's been so many deaths on railroads. Mm -hmm. It's not like today where you get on Amtrak and you grab your thing and just you're off, right? Whatever. And you fall asleep and you're in New York in no time at all. I mean, here, you know, like a moose <laughs> like yeah, right. track and derail the entire track or snow. You couldn't get through and people would freeze, you know, yep. uh, in, in their cars. or <laughs> like It's, it's dangerous. Right. It's yeah. extremely dangerous. So anyway, go on with yeah. the whole day. Definitely. And I think that's kind of part of the reason why there was such a why they started putting money into it in the 1800s, the late yeah. 1800s. Um, yeah, it's because it was it was very dangerous back then, like many things. But yeah, um, but yeah, so all these um, all of this going on, it kind of led um, the lumberjacks. to They started telling a lot of stories, um, really not just in Wisconsin, but in Minnesota and North Dakota and, you know, Maine, all of these states, all these lumberjacks kind of started telling stories. Um, this is kind of when Paul Bunyan stories started to gain popularity as well. Um, and they, it was really just because they kind of had this nostalgia for the way that things used to be. So they were kind of sad. They were down on their luck. They at times didn't have a lot to do. So um, yeah. they would they would start telling these stories. And the Hodag was one of these stories that they started to tell. Um, so a little bit about the general Hodag lore. So this doesn't really have to do with Rhinelander specifically and the Rhinelander Hodag story. But generally speaking... The Hodag was said to be the spirit of mistreated oxen who would drag logs from the forest. So the lumberjacks were not always very nice to their oxen. And so it was kind of... Lumberjacks. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but it was kind of a story that like the the Hodags would rise from the ashes of these dead, mistreated oxen. And that's wow. like, why they were oh so God. angry and vengeful. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. <laughs> it's really, it's kind of, it's a little spooky. Um, yeah. And then in other cases, some people talk about how the hodag was very similar. The way that it's described and the way like that its temperament is described is very similar to the Ojibwe nation's stories of water panthers or Mishi Peshu. I'm not 100% positive I'm pronouncing that correctly. But if you look up pictures of the Mishi Peshu, it's actually kind of similar in a way to how the hodag looks. Um it's a little bit different. The Mishi Peshu looks a lot cooler and the Hodeg looks a little goofy and frog-like, <laughs> but yes. a lot of people talk about how they do look very similar. And the Ojibwe tribe actually is in very similar locations. So they're also in northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota. So it's just interesting that those stories kind of align a little bit and, you know, maybe they were seeing the same thing out in the woods. Um, so that's also kind of a fun thing. Uh it was a very common monster in these lumberjack stories in the 1800s, um, all the way from Minnesota to Maine. So again, not just relegated to Wisconsin. Um, and actually, the first written mention of it was in a History of Kent County, Michigan, which was published in 1870. 
Um, but it did not, that didn't make it famous. It didn't really become like a famous story until it hit Rhinelander. But, um, but yeah, so it was definitely in, in the lore before this whole story happened. Was it called the Hoday at the time? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, right. Interesting. It'd be interesting to know the origin of the name and how that came about. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I tried to find that information and I couldn't really. So, and it's, yeah, it would be interesting to find that out. But that was the first time it was written down. And I couldn't find actually the actual like copy of the history of kent county michigan from 1870 so maybe like they give a reason why they call it the hodeg in there but um but yeah not something that i found um but a little bit too about what the creature looks like um so a quote from the former rhinelander mayor and this is <laughs> this is so fun so this is a more recent mayor of rhinelander so not from the 1800s but he's actually portrayed Gene Shepard, who we'll talk about soon, but in reenactments of this whole Hodeg story, which I think is so fun about like small towns, is that the mayor yeah. of small towns, it's not like some politician, it's like some <laughs> guy who's in like local theater, which is just a good uh, that's time. yep, that's Wisconsin for you. Yeah, right. I love yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the way that uh he described the, the hodag is that it has spikes all the way down its entire length of its body with a fistful of needle sharp pointed spears at the end of its tail fangs that would rival a saber-toothed tiger and it could rip out the belly of the biggest bear <laughs> so Whoa, man, very that's scary. supposed to come from oxen that's scary i know yeah that's, yeah. that's pretty messed up that's like yeah. some mad scientist let his creature go and went well <laughs> you're on your yeah, own now. well <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly and it's inter there's you know varying kind of tales about what it looks like but most people say that it's either green or black um kind of depending on who you ask um and then it has the head of a bullfrog with bulging eyes short legs and it's sometimes scaly Yikes. sometimes furry yeah so it's because it, it like i don't know like it sounds scary but when you look at like the modern yeah, day yeah. like appearance of it it's actually pretty cute to me <laughs> i think it's cute but <laughs> Rick would like to have it as a pet look yeah. at my whole day yeah that would go over well <laughs> yeah beauty Bring is in the eye of the beholder it, it is it really is and i think the hodeg is beautiful it's hey so brooke <laughs> how tall is this thing did it say anything is, is um it so I know it said about seven to eight feet long and then it would mm. it weighed like 200 pounds so mm, okay. i want to say like not very tall i think like two feet tall is what we're what we're right. looking at kind of like almost an alligator <laughs> like but a little oh, bit right yeah a little bit taller with like the face of a bulldog or bullfrog i guess <laughs> but yeah yeah and you'll, pro you'll probably get into this brook but does it hang around swamps or is it just kind of just walk down the street and be like hey what's up dude like <laughs> it, um it definitely hangs out in the woods primarily um yeah. it does not so there's like a whole other thing that this guy gene shepherd that'll talk about but he wrote yeah, like a whole backstory about the hodag and um it actually there's this story that he wrote where the hodag and this swamp monster were like fighting over territory because um, nice. the, the hodeg like wanted to be in the swamp territory but it wasn't like suited to that territory so it had to fight this swamp monster otherwise yeah it was it was a whole thing <laughs> but um none of that is necessarily well we know it's not true <laughs> but um but he yeah the hodeg supposedly mostly is in is in the woods like deep forested areas 
um, they like to stay close to trees because it like gives them comfort. So, um, Mm. so are they aggressive or are they more docile? Well, um, another quote that I have, according to folklorist Charles E. Brown, that hodegs are, um, are said to eat mud turtles, water snakes, and muskrats, but they do not disdain for human <laughs> flesh. <laughs> so, all right, so it could go either way. Like, yeah, like if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, they might they might fight you. But yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like your arm have, off. Yeah, yeah kind of like if you have pine- pineapple on your pizza once in a while, you're like, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not my favorite food, but I guess not my favorite. But that little kid looks really good, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) so yeah. So not like they don't hunt people, but they're you know they don't disdain the taste of our flesh. So (laughs) it's all good. Good way to put it. Every once in a while. Uh, So yeah. So another. So to understand this story of the hodag and Rhinelander. The main character of the story, by far, is this man Eugene Shepard. Also, go he also goes by Gene, so I might call him Gene. Um, so this guy, he was born March twenty second in eighteen fifty four in Old Fort Howard, Wisconsin, which is now Green Bay. He moved to Rhinelander in eighteen eighty four after timber cruising for twelve years. So he's basically a lumberjack for twelve years, kind of going from town to town, and then he kind of settled in Rhinelander in eighteen eighty four. He was well-known in the city. He was a land surveyor, and he was also a business venturist. Um, And he really was known as a storyteller. So he actually was one of the people who started circulating early tales of Paul Bunyan stories. He also drew (laughs) pictures. Yeah, which is kind of cool. So he drew pictures that would, they, you know, they show up in, like, old history books and things like that when it comes to the stories of Paul Bunyan. Um, and he was definitely like kind of a serial businessman. So he had his own businesses. He eventually owned um, a resort in Rhinelander. I couldn't find the name of it, but um, he did own a resort. And he also owned, I I found this in a couple different um, sources and I couldn't find any like details on it. But in one of his side, side businesses, he sold perfumed moss in the mail, <laughs> which All right. I don't cool. know. I love not that. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure like what the you know who the clientele was or what the purpose of it was, but he sold perfume uh, moss. Perfume moss, I tell you. Yeah, you know, we, maybe we like love an entrepreneur. Yeah, we we do, we do. You know, he's he's getting his he's getting his bread, so that's that's yeah, good. Got to make that money. Yeah. Um, he was also a very well known storyteller. Um, like like I said, and also a prankster. So a lot of people around Rhinelander knew him as a prankster. Um, one of my favorite stories that I found about him against this was in multiple sources. I couldn't really find a ton of details about it, but apparently this is something he would do frequently. But one time an auditor showed up at his house and knocked on his door. And when he saw that it was an auditor, he lathered up a bar of soap and put it in his mouth <laughs> and opened the door and act like he was rabid. <laughs> and like oh, this guy. Yeah, and he started like growling at the auditor, and the auditor ran away. And apparently, he was like known to do this. So oh, this, guy, this guy is like a character. He's, you know, he will got, not be like, back. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I know he he's really he's a really cool guy. Very interesting. But um, 
one thing is after he settled in Rhinelander, he became he, he kind of settled in it right before things started to go downhill. So he became very invested in bringing people back to Rhinelander. And since the whole lumber work thing wasn't really going over well at the time, he wanted to turn Rhinelander into an agricultural haven for farmers. So he was actually at the time buying up a bunch of empty plots of land because he intended to sell them to farmers. So he had a pretty vested interest in bringing people back to Rhinelander and like putting Rhinelander back on the map. So it kind of gives a little bit of context for where this story goes from here. Um, But one thing that he did actually was before he kind of started talking about the hodag as like he found the hodag he captured the hodag which we'll talk about he actually would put centralia or advertisements in um out for centralia lumber company which was a like a local near rhinelander lumber company and he would run ads twice a month which were was telling like an ongoing to be continued story about the hodag, which he wrote all the content for. I'm pretty sure he drew all the pictures too. Um, I found a couple examples of some of the ads that I can put up on our website when we post this blog post. Um, it was really interesting. I what I thought was so fun about it though is like it wasn't really like an outward ad. Like it wasn't like Centralia Lumber Company buy our wood. It was literally just like a story about here's about the hodag to be continued in our next like issue and i was like this is kind of like one of like an early example of content marketing which i thought was fun because megan and i do content marketing yeah and i was like they really were trying to like build up their you know their people's interest in the company and like creating this brand recognition not necessarily just trying to sell their product out right which i thought was kind of fun um but anyway, let's talk about how Eugene found a hodag in 1893, because <laughs> this is a good time. So in 1893, Eugene kind of starts telling people around the town that he found a hodag, and people are like, what are you talking about? So he <laughs> convinces a group of local men to go out and hunt this hodag. And there's about 20 of them. There's a picture. Again, we'll put this up on the website because it's very funny. But he rounded up this group of guys. They all left with, like, their dogs. They brought rifles and, like, pitchforks. They brought squirt guns loaded with poison water. And they all went out to, like, go find this hodag. Because Eugene had been saying that, like, the hodag was trying to kill, like, kids. He didn't. Like, there there was no evidence of this having happened. But he was trying to rile people up. So they actually, like, go out. And I believe it was in a cave. They finally supposedly found the hodag and they killed it with dynamite and <laughs> my god that's your go-to yeah that was their go-to that apparently all the other stuff that they brought hang, on, hang on a second get a picture in your mind of a bunch of local yokels mm-hmm. sticks of dynamite <laughs> Pitch really, right and they don't really know what's in there it could be like some old bum you know, just right. trying to get shelter, right? Mm-hmm. And, like some homeless person just trying to get out of the rain, and they're just chucking these dynamite sticks. <laughs> I know. It's I mean, <laughs> go big or go home, I guess. Yeah, yeah. right? Oh, they my had God. To, that's they hilarious. Had to go <laughs> that's just, oh, my gosh. A little bit okay, excessive. Yeah, it was a little excessive, maybe. But they did. Yeah. They killed the hodag. And they actually have this photo of all the guys around this charred body of a hodag. So <laughs> it's a very funny photo. And it, you can see, like, the hodag. It looks like what the how the hodag was described. It's like this 
you know, uh, like short, stout creature with like a bulldog kind of face with like fangs and spikes all along its back. And so people were like, oh, my God, like they actually he actually was right. He found a hoed egg. They went out and killed it. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, So they really started. This is kind of around when the Centralia Lumber Company advertisements started coming out. People were like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening in Rhinelander. They found a hoed egg. Um, And so that people were kind of talking about this for a couple of years. So that was 1893. Now it's 1896 and, th- you know, things are kind of calming down a little bit. But Gene, he wants to, you know, bring the whole egg back to the forefront of everyone's mind. Yes. So he actually started telling everyone that he managed to capture a whole egg in 1896. And he of told people, he yeah, this is true story. He <laughs> told people that he, with the help of a bear wrestler, <laughs> went oh. to a cave where he knew that I the whole egg was staying and he put chloroform like a chloroform form rag at the end of a pole and stuck stuck the pole into the cave and made the whole egg cast out and that's how they captured the whole egg so he starts telling people this and he's like you know what i gotta do i gotta bring this hoed egg to the first ever oneida county fair of course (laughs) and nobody thought this was far-fetched with his history at this My time, God. a lot of people thought it was real. <laughs> and it's the 1800s. I think, like, right? Yeah, it's the 1800s. So, you know, people, I, you know, I don't know if they, I'm sure they're familiar with the concept of pranks, but, but they, you know, they believe this guy. He was a well known guy in the county. He, you know, he was very uh, trustworthy to a lot of people. <laughs> so he actually, um, mm. you know, not to, you know, get to the punch line right away, but this, he, it was fake. He did not execute. Oh, God. Oh, I thought it was real. Oh, I know. Yeah. Sorry to like ruin it already for you, but he actually like with the help of one of his friends who was a wood carver, he actually created this creature out of wood and put like wires inside of it, covered it in oxide, like made a very legit looking creature. Yeah. And um, with the help of his sons, Leighton and Claude, um, he could actually kind of move the creature like from under a table with like the wires and convince people that it was real. And his sons would like make all these like crazy noises and stuff. Oh, and so he basically it. had like a tent set up at this Oneida County Fair and he charged people. I, some people said a nickel, some people said a dime, um, no, but he would charge no, people hey. to come back and see the hodag. And it was in like pretty dark lighting <laughs> and people would only be in there for a couple seconds and then they would get scared and just like run oh. out. Because it it seemed legit to them. So people really believed this. Um, And it was even said that he made up to $500 in a weekend when he was actually presenting the hodag at a fair. Which is a lot of money. Yeah, for a lot of money for back then. Yeah. That means like, you know, up to 5,000 people a day were coming to see this this hodag. Um, And he also like, he made up so many weird like stories about this hoed egg so it kind of shifted from the original lore of like this hoed egg being kind of you know born from the ashes of oxen and stuff like that he kind of started making other stuff up like he told people that the hoed egg only ate white bulldogs and only on sundays (laughs) of course (laughs) i know which is so funny yeah Yeah. very specific but yeah, I feel like he had like a beef with someone who had a white bulldog or something. That's why he said that. I hate that dog. It barks all the time. Right? Yeah, I was like, my whole egg's gonna eat it. I'm gonna eat that stupid dog. 
<laughs> um, so he would he would go to all these different locations and he would show this bulldog or this bulldog, this hodag. Um, and he actually, after that, he kept the hodag in his shed, quote unquote. And when pe- people would come by pretty regularly and be like, hey, we want to see the hodag. And he would actually like disappear into his shed and he would come back in shredded clothes and he would say like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, but the whole day." I love Gene. Uh-huh. I love Gene. You prankster. I know, right? I'm I like, love I love. Him. I just love that. I don't know, like people in the 1800s were like pulling this kind of stuff because you just don't think about it. You don't think that. No, you don't. Right? No. <laughs> but people had a sense of humor. This guy had a sense of humor. So yes. You know, so, it was yeah. probably so extraordinary. You just had to believe it. Uh huh. Yeah. Like why not who knows you know back then i'm sure they were like the woods were so expansive that people were probably like anything could be out there you know why not um so eventually this is actually crazy but this story of this hodag started becoming super widely circulated not just in wisconsin but as far out as philadelphia which is crazy and people were reporting it as like a genuine discovery like they were like this is a real thing that this guy discovered and at this point the people of rhinelander were kind of like you know catching on to the fact that this was a hoax but it was still being like spread as though this was a real thing and it kept getting the attention of people kind of nationwide and from what i read the people from researchers from the smithsonian actually got clued into this and they planned a visit to rhinelander in 1900 to see this creature yeah and at this point that's when gene was kind of forced into publicly admitting that the entire thing was a hoax again at this point people in rhinelander knew that but um but yeah so that was kind of when the jig was up but like dang it yeah but at this point like the cat was out of the bag like people were talking about this like crazy so even after he admitted that it was a hoax People from New Hampshire to Arizona were reporting about this and talking about how this town was like duped into believing the Hodag was real. Um, like it just became this very popular thing. And uh, and yeah, this, so it, it to this day, he's like a very, you know, he's kind of like the mascot of the entire town of Rhinelander, um, <laughs> which, which is so fun. I have a good quote here. This was actually from the um, dissertation that I read. So he said that the exhibition of the Hodag marked the death of logging in the Great Lakes states and the birth of a whimsical nostalgia for a bygone logging culture. The same nostalgia would give birth to Paul Bunyan. So I think that's kind of like, that's a good way of looking at him and a little bit about the legacy of the the Hodag. So Gene, um, he did end up dying kind of alone and isolated from his family, which I thought was very Aww. sad, but I guess he like wasn't the best person after this. Um, no. he, and he drank very heavily. So he actually Aww. died of kidney failure at age Aww. 69. That's shocking. <laughs> I know. Right. But his Poor legacy guy. lived on. Like he's still well regarded in the town. Like everyone in Rhinelander knows who Gene Shepard is. Um, so even though he kind of had like a sad ending, he still, his legacy lived on, and um, the ma- um, the Hodeg is actually the school mascot for Rhinelander High School. And earlier this month, it was actually voted the best high school mascot in the country by Scorebook Scorebook Live, 
readers which is a high school sports news website oh that's great yeah it faced off against 11 other schools in the finals it received 183,000 votes and second place only received 72,000 so it beat it by quite a lot um yeah so that it's very popular um there's also a big uh statue of the hodag in front of the rhinelander chamber of commerce um, it's very cute. This is why I say the Hodeg is cute. The statue is very cute. I like it. Um, and it also, the Hodeg lends its name to, um, and the likeness to multiple businesses. So they have a Hodeg store in Rhinelander where they sell books and apparel and keepsakes and plushies. Um, they have the Fun Factory Sweet Shop, which sells chocolate Hodegs, um, Hodeg pooped multiple, <laughs> which oh, that made me laugh because when I went to, um, uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, they had Mothman poop malted milk balls at the oh, local. Gotta course. have the poop, man. Yeah. I know. Like, I love this culture of like these tiny towns just embracing yes. these like, cryptids. It's so fun. But um, but yeah, then Metro Screen Printing and Embroidery sells Hodeg pajamas and other clothing. And there's also a Hodeg finder game where you can actually go to the Chamber of Commerce and get like a a sheet where you can find all the hodags around the town and if you find them all you can go back to the chamber of commerce and win a hodag themed prize oh, so nice. that's which, is <laughs> which might be the poop yeah i'm not sure you'll have to find be. out that would be a little disappointing if you go and find yeah. all those and then you get a bag of poop but there's a bag of poop <laughs> i like it brooke i take it i take it but uh, the Hodeg was also mentioned as a beast in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book by J.K. Rowling. Not the mo- I don't think it was mentioned in the movie, but um, but it was in the book. Um, and now it's kind of like a local inside joke. Like golfers will blame the Hodeg for their missing golf balls and fishers will blame <laughs> the Hodeg for large fish that are caught off their line. Um, I no. really tried to find like people who had seen had like legitimate experiences with the hodag either like today or from you know years ago um and it's hard to honestly find because so much of the hodag lore is just uh, like overshined by this rhinelander story so it's it's hard to find like i feel like you know the hodag is a legit cryptid that people have had experiences with over you know the past couple hundred years but because of this kind of like Hodeg extravaganza around Ryan Lander. It's really hard to find stuff that's not about that. So I'm interested to see if like, you know, if I ever come across something like that, we can talk about it in a future podcast because I'm I'm curious, but I couldn't really find anything this time around. Um, but I want to end the story with uh, a quote that I found. This is from Henry J. McCormick, who was a Wisconsin State Journal columnist in 1939. He said, Thousands of people came to view the Hodag, and not one of them went away without having learned a little more about North Wisconsin, and many who came out of curiosity, oh sorry, and many who came out of curiosity only have come to make their home with us, either permanently or for a few weeks or months out of the year. Long live the Hodag, which I thought was just such a beautiful way to end it. That's really nice. Yeah, just because the Hodag may not have been real. People came to see them and they learned about Wisconsin and they had a good time and some people stayed forever, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. So that is an awesome story, Brooke. I just have one quick question for you. Does the Hodag speak English? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Or does it just go blah, blah, slobber, slobber, I think it blah. just made, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it just made noises. I didn't see anything about it oh, speaking. All right. 
right. but he's fluent in English. <laughs> yeah, I've been really he's funny. Actually bilingual. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, have this English accent. Hello there. <laughs> Hello, my friend. That would be great. Be like, never know. <laughs> yeah. I will have that bulldog now. <laughs> yes. Please Serve give me, me on a silver platter. <laughs> hey, let's all admit we'd want to party with Gene. Come on. Who oh, would yeah. want to party with Gene? Oh yeah, Gene. Gene's like the guy. He's the dude. Love that guy. <laughs> Gotta love a prankster too. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so uh, Brooke, that was a great story. And um, thanks. We go, Megan. Do you have anything to offer on there? Would you? Would you keep the whole dag as a pet like Brooke would? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Well, you said it was 200 pounds, so it might be hard Ooh. to walk on a leash, I'm thinking, but I could yeah, probably keep it in my Bernard. basement. <laughs> That's yes, true. I do. <laughs> I have a St. Bernard. He's 155 pounds. So if you just, you know, add a little bit more weight, I mean, how much worse could it be, honestly? Although it Very might true. eat a lot and I don't have a lot of access to white bulldogs specifically. So it might be kind of hard. That's true. That's true. They, they're hard to come by. Yeah, and you'd have to, all the bulldogs would be missing in the neighborhood, so that'd be hard to explain, right? Yeah, I don't think my community <laughs> would like that too much. Yeah. <laughs> but all he right. does look cute. <laughs> he does look cute. He's very cute. Yeah, I so feel like he's misunderstood. Oh, <laughs> sorry. We're going to travel now an hour south of Rylander to Walsall, Wisconsin for our next story. Megan, take it away. All right, perfect. Thanks so much, Brooke. That was such a great story. And it's going to be pretty hard to beat the hodag, but I'm going to give it a shot. Oh, thank you. All right. So today I have a super weird and terrifying story to share. And it's based out of Wausau, Wisconsin. And like John said, it's about an hour south of Rhinelander. So if you're going to make a trip to northern Wisconsin to learn more about the hodag, definitely make sure to add Wausau to your list of de destinations. So the story I have today, I, you know, I don't think that you're going to be able to sleep tonight, John. It's definitely going to be a super scary one. So be ready. Hey, for hey, it. hey. You no. <laughs> scared me great. I'm All right. Well, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I also wanted to note that today's story came from the Weird Wisconsin book. It's by Linda Godfrey and Richard Hendricks. Yeah, this book is book. definitely one of the best compilations of Wisconsin-based stories that yeah, I've found. Cool. So check it out if you're looking for more stories about the weird, the spooky, the unexplained in Wisconsin. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and get into it. So today we're going to be visiting the former Rogers Theater, which is located at 310 North 4th Street in Wausau, Wisconsin. The Rogers Theater has been the site of numerous paranormal incidents during its years of operation. People in the theater have heard rapping noises radiating from seemingly nowhere. Uh, staff members have reported feeling watched by unseen entities. Lights have turned on and off seemingly by themselves. And this is interesting. Multiple projectors at the theater have completely shut off during movie showings for no reason at all. And that's just the start of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this one terrifying incident, I'm going to tell you about it. it. It happened at the theater. It left an entire group of grown men running for their lives. Scary. Ooh, we love so, that. 
So before we get into that story, I'll tell you that at the end, I wanted to talk about a little bit of history on the Rogers Theater. So the Rogers Theater building was constructed in the early to mid 1920s, and it's had a very interesting share of businesses in it over the last 100 years. First, it was a tire shop, and then it was a (laughs) funeral home, and then it was later changed to a furniture shop. So all of these businesses were operating there until about 1940. So interesting Hmm. smattering of businesses that went on in that one building. So then the building lay vacant for a number of years. However, it was reportedly used as a brothel during that time. So there's some uh crazy things going on in this building during the (laughs) mid-1900s. Hang on, hang on a second. So we've gone from a funeral parlor a tire shop, a furniture store, to a brothel. <laughs> and soon it's not. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. That's <laughs> the weirdest combination of like, it's like walking down in, past your hometown, you know, and then you're like, hey, look, wasn't that a brothel? <laughs> oh, I thought it was a funeral home. No, I thought it was a funeral home. No, no. No, it was, it was a, a tire, tire shop. shop. <laughs> you know, so that explains why there's some really funky energy oh, going on in this yeah. building. So now it's 1945, it opens as the Hollywood Theater. Then in 1960, it opens up as the new Wausau Theater. And then finally, in 1979, it opens as the Rogers Theater. So it has a long history of different businesses in it, but the (laughs) Rogers Theater definitely has the strangest history. So I've always cover that. I've always always considered Wausau the Hollywood of the Midwest, so it's fitting. (laughs) There's a lot of stories out of Wausau. So if you want to learn more about spooky Wisconsin, Wausau is definitely a good city to start with. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you can probably imagine that this building with everything that it's been from a tire shop to a furniture shop, all the way to a funeral home and maybe possibly a brothel probably has some crazy energy (laughs) attached to this building. So why don't we start with the apparition of a man in the black suit. Mm. Over the years, most paranormal reports from this theater come from the basement auditorium. And former employees kept seeing this apparition of a man in a black suit. So they decided to give him a name because they were seeing him so often. So of course, what was that name you ask? Why don't you yes. two go ahead and guess? Um, the hat man. Bill. <laughs> Actually, you're pretty close, John. His name was Bob. Oh, nice. Yep, they named him Bob. And honestly, I kind of love that for him because what better name for a ghost than Bob, honestly? Yeah, it's a good one. All right. So anyways, one former employee reported that while working alone in the basement projector room, he saw a man dressed in a black suit cross the stage area. And the employee checked the theater and... Of course, no one was there. Yeah. You know how it goes. So he continues his work in the projection room. But the second he looked through the projection window, the man in the suit was staring back at him. Oh, no. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I probably would have crapped my pants right then and there, right on the spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Girl. I'm not going to lie. Man. Terrifying. Oh, God. 
So there's another story, another time, a night manager was locking the front door of the theater for the evening when all of a sudden he was pushed out of the theater doors by unseen hands. No. And of course, wow. no one was there. Yeah. That's crazy. That's but this, this next story might be the scariest story of all, and I saved it for last for you guys. So you remember at the beginning of my section when I said an entire group of grown men left the theater running for their lives? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the story. So in 2002, the Rogers Theater did close its doors and a group of workmen began removing the seats in the basement of the building. And if you'll remember, this is the most haunted part of the theater. So keep that in mind. Right. Yeah. So as they were working they started hearing this strange, loud thumping. So they stop and they look up and mm-hmm. what they saw made the blood drain out of their faces. Oh. Every seat in the theater was rocking violently back and forth, back and forth, back and forth by themselves. Oh, wow. oh no. So without a second thought, all the men threw their tools to the floor and they escaped. Oh the yeah. They said, I'm done with that. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. So I can't even yeah. imagine seeing that. You know, you're just on the job doing your work, yeah, you know, trying right. to make your money. And man, I, I would probably quit right then and there. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I'm out. It makes, you know, <laughs> I've heard so many stories of like ghosts really not liking when people are renovating. Mm-hmm. So it totally right. makes sense. Like these guys come in and they're like, we're going to take all these seats and the ghosts get mad and they just start wreaking havoc but yeah. I, it's so interesting like when so many especially like men who are like you know kind of blue collar workers yeah. have like a similar experience like that i feel like that gives so much more weight to it because yeah, it's like that, it's not just one person being like i saw a ghost it's yeah, like a exactly. bunch of them i mean c- could you see that could you imagine you're just driving by and a whole bunch of blue collar you know beer drinking you know big guys just come running out of the theater like scared little girls <laughs> right yeah because these are like the like most that. yeah like you think of them as being like the most like down to earth like yeah. you know tough guys and yeah. yeah for them to get scared you know like it was something some crazy mm. yeah and yeah. that's something we'll cover um yeah again when we do a lot of these uh different stories like you said brooke renovation for whatever ghosts don't like it, like if you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you have to say to a ghost, like put out your plans and be like, hey, ghost, <laughs> we're going to change the kitchen to okay? uh, ocean blue. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? Like, is that okay? Is that okay? Not okay. <laughs> and then maybe you see a note on the plans. No, you burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> written you're in like, blood on the walls. Yeah, written on <laughs> blood on the walls and. You're going, well, okay, ocean blue may not be your color. Tell me your color you like. Like egg white? Is that a good color? Sage green, maybe. <laughs> that I will like. No. I don't Ooh, love sage green. Yes. So Anyways. anything else on this, Megan? Because yeah. that is terrifying. I actually did some research to see what happened to the Rogers Theater after it closed in the early yeah. 200s. There have been some paranormal investigation groups that have visited to try and capture evidence of the unexplained, but it sounds like most of the reports were pretty uneventful. So that's Mm. interesting. But other businesses have tried to make use of the old brick building. First, it was a nightclub called the Fillmore, but that closed (laughs) down. 
And then in a slight turn of events, the building became none other than a church. So so today it is actually being used by the downtown mission church in Wausau. So after everything that's happened in the last 100 years, I definitely think the building needed some good juju. And I really hope Bob the ghost is enjoying attending church services every Sunday because he's definitely dressed for the occasion in that black suit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so not sure if the building is still haunted, maybe, but you might have to visit for yourself and see what happens. You know, that sounds that sounds awesome. And thank you. Now I got to sleep with the lights on because I I picture myself sleeping tonight and opening my eyes and Bob staring right at me. But thanks. At least he's well dressed, John. Well, yeah, at least he's well dressed. You look good. Yeah, he's a fancy ghost. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And I'll pass it back to you, John. Yeah. So, ladies, you're always the greatest. You know, I always tell you that. And there was some really nice spooky and a really great cryptid story. I was going to do a story, but we're kind of coming up on time here about a haunted bunk bed. But I'm going to save that for next week because (laughs) I think it kind of is going to go with, or I shouldn't say next week. I should say we're going to do stories every couple weeks. So, you know, be ready for that. And we're going to talk about our next story uh, a little bit. We're probably going to do Summer Wind. And the reason I say probably is because we have so many things to cover. Right, Megan and Brooke? I mean, so many ideas. We do. So So many things. But right now we're thinking on Summer Wind, which you got to tune in for that. Because Summer Wind, I think, rivals Amityville, rivals... um, the like uh, any spooky house like mm-hmm. in uh, whether you were looking at the uh, uh, Vliska Axe House in Iowa or uh, the what is it the wall uh, gosh can't think of the one in Kansas right now at the top of my head um, oh shoot can't think of that name but any of these spooky houses really take a um, the summer wind doesn't take uh, really a backseat to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's going on. So that's probably what we're going to do uh, uh, in a couple weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. And like I said, then we'll do the haunted bug, bunk bed story because I got to give it more time. I'm going to be honest with you. because it's, it's, super, it's I can't super, wait. It's funny and scary at the same time, which is very rare with spooky stories, right? So yeah, we love that. anything else? Uh, Brooke or Megan, you want to bring up before we uh, end this episode? I don't think so. I'm really excited. I've, you know, I've, you've teased your bunk bed story a couple times in the past, and I'm, I'm excited to hear the whole story. That'll be very fun. It, it's awesome. <laughs> Megan, I don't think so. I'm also looking forward to next week and hearing all about it, John. Awesome. So we want to end the show just to say, hey, look out for those cryptids, especially those hodags on the road, zombie deer, you never know, right? And, uh, you know, one of the things we like to say, too, is tell your ghost we say hi, because, you know, you never know, right? Got to be friendly to that ghost. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. And until that time, stay spooky.